and welcome to the Brothers Grimm Lunch Break. I'm Eric Wagoner. Today, I'll be reading The Two Travelers. Mountains and valleys never meet, but people often do, especially the good and the bad. So it was that the paths of a shoemaker and a tailor crossed during their travels. The tailor was a handsome little fellow, always merry and in good spirits. When he saw the shoemaker coming from the other direction, he recognized his trade by his knapsack and decided to sing a little ditty just to tease him. First sew the seam, now pull the thread, rub it right, rub it left, and use the wax. Now hit the nail on the head. However, the shoemaker could not take a joke and made a sour face as if he had just drunk some vinegar. Indeed, he looked as if he would grab the little tailor by the scruff of his neck. Yet the little fellow began to laugh, handed the shoemaker his bottle, and said, No harm meant. Just drink and swallow down your anger. The shoemaker took a tremendous swig, and the storm brewing on his face began to blow over. He gave the bottle back to the tailor and said, I've done ample justice to your bottle. They say that drinking helps, and thirst can mean your end. Say, how would you like to be my traveling companion? That's fine with me, answered the tailor, just as long as you intend to head for the big cities where there's plenty of work. That's exactly where I'm going, said the shoemaker. You can't make a living in a small nest, and the people in the country still prefer to run around barefoot. So they walked on together, putting one foot in front of the other like weasels in the snow. Both had plenty of time, but very little money. When they came to a city, they went around asking for work. Since the little tailor looked so bright and cheerful with his rosy red cheeks, everyone was glad to give him some work to do, and if he was really lucky, he would also get a kiss from the master's daughter on his way out the front door. Whenever he rejoined the shoemaker, he always had more in his knapsack than his companion, and the sullen shoemaker would look peevish and remark, The bigger the fool, the greater his luck. But the tailor would only burst out laughing and start singing. Whatever he earned, he would share with his companion. Whenever he had but a few pennies in his pocket, he would order something good and pound the table in pure delight until the glasses began to dance. His motto was, Easy come, easy go. After they had been traveling for some time, they came to a great forest, which they had to cross to get to the capital city. However, there were two footpaths through it, one that took seven days, and the other only two. Neither of the travelers knew which path was shorter. So they sat down under an oak tree to discuss what supplies they would need and how much bread they should take. The shoemaker said, One should always plan in advance. I'm going to take enough bread for seven days. What? said the tailor. You think I want to carry bread for seven days on my back like a pack animal and not be able to enjoy the scenery? I'm going to trust in God and not worry about the future. The money in my pocket is as good in summer as in winter, but bread gets dry and moldy in hot weather. My coat always stops at my ankles. There's no reason why we won't be able to find the right path. I'm taking bread enough for two days, and that's it for me. So each one bought his own supply of bread, and they went into the forest, trusting in chance. The forest was as quiet as a church. There was no wind, and the brook had stopped murmuring, just as the birds had stopped singing. Not one ray of sun pierced the dense foliage of the trees. 
The load on the shoemaker's back was so heavy that he did not say a word, and sweat was pouring down his churlish and moody face. On the other hand, the tailor was as cheerful as could be. He skipped along, whistling with a leaf between his lips, or singing a song. God in heaven must be pleased that I am so merry, he thought. So it went for two days. But on the third day, when there was still no end to the forest in sight, and the tailor had eaten all his bread, his spirits fell a bit. But he did not lose heart. He kept on trusting in God and in chance. By the end of the third day, however, he lay down under a tree hungry, and got up hungry the next morning. The same thing happened on the fourth day, and when the shoemaker sat down on a fallen tree and began eating his meal, the tailor could do nothing but look on. When he asked for a little piece of bread, his companion laughed scornfully and said, "'You've always been so merry. Now you can see what it feels like to be in a bad way. Birds who sing too early in the morning wind up in the claws of a hawk by evening.'" In short, the shoemaker showed the tailor no mercy. On the fifth morning, the poor tailor was so exhausted that he could no longer get up, nor could he utter a word. His cheeks were white, and his eyes were red. Then the shoemaker said to him, I'll give you a piece of bread today, but in return I'm going to cut out your right eye. The unfortunate tailor wanted desperately to stay alive and had no choice. He wept one last time with both his eyes and then extended his head to the shoemaker, who had a heart of stone, and cut out the right eye with a sharp knife. Now the tailor recalled the words of his mother, who used to say whenever she caught him nibbling in the pantry, Eat as much as you want. Suffer as much as you must. After he had eaten the bread that cost him dearly, he got up on his legs, forgot his misfortune, and consoled himself with the thought that he could still see well enough with one eye. But on the sixth day, his hunger began getting the better of him and almost demolished his heart. In the evening, he collapsed under a tree, and on the seventh morning, he was so worn out that he could not get up, and death peered over his shoulder. "'Well, I'll be merciful and give you another piece of bread,' said the shoemaker. "'But it won't be for nothing. "'In return, I'm going to cut out your other eye.' "'These words made the tailor realize just how frivolous he had been with his life. "'He begged the dear Lord for forgiveness and said, "'Do what you must. I'll suffer what I must. "'But just remember, our Lord Almighty will determine the proper time to judge you, "'and one day you will have to pay for your evil deed.' for I have given you no cause to act like this. Part of my craft demands that I make even stitches, but if I no longer have eyes, I can no longer sew, and I'll have to go begging. So when you finish blinding me, don't leave me lying here alone, otherwise I'll surely perish. The shoemaker, who had banished God from his heart, took his knife and cut out the left eye. Then he gave the tailor a piece of bread to eat, handed him a stick, and pulled him along behind him. As the sun was just about to set, they came out of the forest, and at the edge of the forest there was a gallows standing in the field. The shoemaker led the blind man over to the gallows, then left him lying there, and went his way. The unfortunate tailor was worn out from pain and hunger, and fell asleep. When dawn came, he awoke, but had no idea where he was. Two poor sinners were hanging on the gallows, and a crow sat on the head of each one. "'Brother,' said one of the dead men, "'are you awake?' 
Yes, I'm awake, answered the other. Well, let me tell you something, the first one said again. Anyone who washes himself in the dew that fell on us last night can regain his sight. If the blind knew that, many of them who had given up hope could have their sight restored. When the tailor heard that, he took his handkerchief and pressed it in the grass. When it was moistened, he washed his eye sockets with it. Suddenly the words of the hangman came true, and a pair of fresh, sound eyes filled his sockets. It was not long before the tailor saw the sun rise over the mountains. The large capital city, with its magnificent gates and turrets, lay before him on a plain. The golden domes and the crosses on the steeples began to glisten. He could distinguish each and every leaf on the trees, and watch the birds as they flew overhead, and the gnats as they danced in the air. He took a sewing needle out of his pocket, and when he succeeded in threading the needle as well as he had ever done before, his heart leapt for joy. Then he threw himself down on his knees, thanked God for the mercy the Lord had shown him, and said his morning prayers. Nor did he forget to pray for the poor sinners who were hanging there like bell-clappers, banging against one another in the wind. After that he put on his knapsack, and the pain he had been suffering began to vanish as he went his way singing and whistling. The first thing he encountered was a brown foal running freely in a field. He caught the foal by his mane and intended to swing himself on his back and ride into the city. However, the foal pleaded for his freedom. I'm still much too young, he said. Even a tailor as light as you would break my back in two. Let me go free and grow strong. Perhaps there'll be a time when I can repay you. Run off, said the tailor. I see that you're a frisky fellow like me. He smacked the foal on his back with a switch, so that he kicked up his hind legs in joy and galloped into the field, jumping over hedges and ditches. The tailor had not eaten a thing since the day before. Indeed, the sun is filling my eyes, he said, but it's not filling me with bread. I just want to get my hands on something halfway edible, and the first thing to cross my path will have to suffer the consequences. Meanwhile, a stork came striding toward him very solemnly across the meadow. Stop, stop, called the tailor, and grabbed him by his hind leg. I don't know whether you taste good, but my hunger leaves me no other choice. I'm going to cut off your head and roast you. Don't do that, replied the stork. I'm a sacred bird, and you're not supposed to harm me because I benefit all humankind. If you spare my life, I'll make it up to you some other time. Well, then, take off, friend Longlegs, said the tailor. The stork flapped its wings and flew off gracefully with his long legs dangling in the air. "'What's to come of all this?' said the tailor to himself. "'My hunger is getting greater and greater, and my stomach emptier and emptier. Whatever crosses my path now is done for.' Just as he said that, he saw two ducks swimming toward him on a pond. "'You've come just in the nick of time,' he said. After he had caught one of them and was about to wring its neck, an old mother duck, which had been hiding in the reeds, suddenly began quacking loudly. She swam up to him with her beak wide open and implored him to have mercy on her children. Just think, she said, how your mother would grieve if someone were to catch you and put an end to your life. Calm yourself, said the kind-hearted tailor. Your children are safe. And he put the captured duck back into the water. When he turned around, he stood facing a half-hollow tree and glimpsed wild bees flying in and out. 
Now I'll get a quick reward for my good deed, said the tailor. The honey will refresh me. Just then the queen bee came flying out, threatening him, and said, If you harm my people and destroy my nest, then our stings will plunge into your skin like ten thousand burning needles. But if you leave us in peace and go your way, we'll do you a service and return some other day. Here again the little tailor saw that there was nothing doing. Three dishes empty, he said, and nothing on the fourth. That's what I call a bad meal. So he dragged himself with his starving stomach into the city, where, since church bells were ringing in the noon hour, there was food already cooked and ready for him at the inn. He sat down to eat right away, and after he was finished, he said, Now I feel like working. He went around the city looking for a master tailor and soon found someone willing to house him. Since he knew all the essentials of his craft from top to bottom, it was not long before he became famous and everyone wanted to have his new coat made by the little tailor. His reputation grew with each day. I can't improve on my craft any more than I have, he said, and yet things keep getting better every day. At last, the king appointed him court tailor. But the world is full of surprises. That very same day, his former companion, the shoemaker, became court shoemaker. When he caught sight of the tailor and noticed that he had two sound eyes again, his conscience began bothering him, and he thought, Before he takes revenge on me, I'd better dig his grave. However, he who digs a grave for others shall more than likely fall in himself. In the evening, when it had turned dusk and the shoemaker had finished his work, he sneaked off to the king and said, Sire, the tailor's an arrogant man. He's been boasting that he can recover the golden crown that was lost hundreds of years ago. I'd certainly appreciate having it back, said the king. And he summoned the tailor the next day and ordered him to bring back the crown or to leave the city forever. Oh, thought the tailor, only a fool promises the impossible. If that grumpy king expects me to do something that nobody in the world can do, why should I wait until tomorrow? I might as well get out of town today. So he packed his knapsack. But when he was outside the city gates, he began to regret his having to abandon his good fortune and turn his back on the city where he had been doing so well. He made his way to the pond where he had met the ducks. There on the bank was the old mother duck, whose little ones he had spared, preening herself with her bill. She recognized him immediately and asked him why he was so gloomy. "'You won't be surprised once I tell you what's happened to me,' responded the tailor, and he told her what had befallen him. "'If that's all there is to it,' said the duck, "'then we can help you. The crown fell in the water, and it's lying at the bottom of the pond. We'll get it out for you in a second. Just spread out your handkerchief on the bank.' She dived down into the water with her twelve ducklings, and within five minutes she came up again, swimming in the middle of the crown, which was resting on her wings. Her twelve ducklings surrounded her and helped her carry the crown by supporting it with their bills. Then they swam ashore and deposited the crown on the handkerchief. You cannot imagine how magnificent the crown was. When the sun's rays struck it, it sparkled like a hundred thousand garnets. The tailor tied the four corners of his handkerchief together and carried the crown to the king, who was overjoyed and hung a golden chain around the tailor's neck. When the shoemaker saw that his trick had failed, he thought up something new and went to the king and said, 
Sire, the tailor's been boasting again. Now he claims he can make a wax model of the entire royal palace with all the trimmings and furnishings. The king summoned the tailor and ordered him to make a wax model of the entire royal palace with all the trimmings and furnishings. And if he did not succeed in building one, or if a single nail were missing on a wall, he would have to spend the rest of his life underground in a dungeon. It's getting worse and worse, the tailor thought. It's more than anyone can bear. He swung his knapsack over his back and left again. When he got to the hollow tree, he sat down and slumped over. The bees came flying out of the tree, and the queen bee asked him whether he had a stiff neck, since he was holding his head in such a strange way. Oh, no, answered the tailor. Something else is bothering me. And he told her what the king had demanded of him. The bees began to buzz and hum among themselves, and the queen bee said, Just go home for now, and come back tomorrow about this time, and bring a large cloth with you. Everything will be all right. So he turned around, while the bees flew straight to the royal palace, and right through the open windows. They crawled around in every nook and cranny, and inspected everything very carefully. Then they zoomed back, and built a wax model of the palace so quickly that you would have thought it was actually growing before your eyes. It was finished that very evening, and when the tailor came the next morning, he found the whole building standing there in all its splendor, and not a nail was missing in the walls, nor a tile on the roof. Moreover, it was snow-white, and very delicate, and smelled as sweet as honey. The tailor wrapped it carefully in his cloth, and brought it to the king, who could not get over his surprise. He put the model in his largest hall, and rewarded the tailor with a big stone house. The shoemaker, however, was persistent. He went to the king a third time, and said, "'Sire, it's come to the tailor's attention that there's no water in the castle courtyard.' So, now he's been boasting that he can make crystal-clear water gush as high as a man right in the middle of the yard. The king had the tailor fetched and said, By tomorrow I shall expect water to rise in my courtyard just as you have promised. If it doesn't, my executioner will make you a head shorter in the very same yard. The poor tailor did not stop to think twice, but rushed out through the city gates since his life was at stake this time. Tears rolled down his cheeks, and as he walked along in this gloomy state, the foal, whose freedom he had granted some time ago, came galloping up to him. The foal had, in the meantime, grown up to be a fine bay horse. "'Now the hour has arrived,' the horse said to him, "'for me to repay you for your good deed. I know already what you need, and help is near at hand. Just climb up on my back, for now I can carry two like you.' The tailor took his heart again and mounted the horse with one jump. Into the city the horse galloped, and then straight into the courtyard. Quick as lightning he sped around the yard three times, and the third time he fell to the ground. There was a dreadful crash, and suddenly a piece of earth in the middle of the courtyard shot up into the air like a bullet and flew out over the castle. Immediately a stream of water gushed forth as high as a man on horseback. The water was as clear as crystal, and the sunbeams began to dance on it. When the king saw that, he jumped up in amazement, and went to embrace the little tailor in the presence of his entire court. The tailor's good fortune did not last long, however. The king had more than enough daughters, one more beautiful than the next, but no sons. 
the wicked shoemaker now went to the king a fourth time and said, Sire, the tailor's arrogance has not subsided. Now he's boasting that, if he wanted to, he could have a son brought to your majesty through the air. The king had the tailor summoned and said, If you can have a son brought to me within nine days, you shall have my oldest daughter for your wife. This reward is certainly great, the tailor thought to himself. Normally I'd do anything to get it. But the cherries are hanging too high for me. If I were to climb after them, the branch would break and I'd fall to the ground. He went home, sat down at his work table, crossed his legs, and pondered what he should do. At last he exclaimed, It won't work. I can't live here in peace any more. I've got to get away. The tailor packed his knapsack and rushed out through the city gate. When he came to the meadows, he spotted his old friend the stork, who was pacing back and forth like a worldly philosopher. From time to time, he stopped to inspect a frog up close, until he finally swallowed it in one gulp. Then the stork came over and greeted him. I see you've got your knapsack on your back. Why do you want to leave the city? The tailor told him that the king had demanded something impossible of him and bemoaned his bad luck. Don't grow any gray hairs over this, said the stork. I'll help you out of this predicament. I've been bringing babies to this city for a long time now. For once, I can also make it my business to fetch a little prince out of the well. Go home and calm yourself. Just be at the palace nine days from today, and I'll be there too. The little tailor went home and made sure to be on time at the palace. Soon after, the stork came flying and knocked on the window. The tailor opened it for him, and Daddy Longlegs climbed cautiously inside and strode solemnly across the smooth marble floor. In his beak he was carrying a baby who was as lovely as an angel, and who stretched out his arms toward the queen. The stork set the baby down in her lap, and she hugged and kissed him and was overcome with joy. Before the stork flew away, he took his traveling sack from his shoulder and handed it to the queen, who found bags of assorted sugar candy inside. She divided the bags among the little princesses, but the oldest received nothing. Instead, she got the merry tailor for her husband. I feel as though I've just won the grand lottery, said the tailor. My mother was right. She always used to say, trust in God, and with a little bit of luck you're bound to find happiness. The shoemaker had to make the shoes in which the tailor danced at his wedding. Then the king banished the shoemaker from his city forever. On his way to the forest, he came to the gallows in the field. Since he was exhausted from his anger and rage and the heat of the day, he threw himself down on the ground. When he closed his eyes and was about to sleep, the two crows cawed loudly, swooped down from the heads of the hanged men, and pecked his eyes out. Half crazed, he ran into the forest and must have perished there, for nobody has ever seen him or heard anything about him since. The End the Brothers Grim Lunch Break is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. Download it and share it all you'd like, but don't change it or sell it. The translations used are copyright Jack Zipes and are used with permission. His collected translations, The Complete Fairy Tales of the Brothers Grimm, is available on the media of your choice from Bantam Books. The music is Mount Timbrel by Jamie Janover off his All Strings Considered album, available on magnatune.com. 
If you'd like to listen to any of the other tales, you can find them on our website, grimlunch.org, where you can also leave comments or subscribe through iTunes. And if you're in iTunes, would you mind leaving a review or clicking on stars to give this podcast a rating? It helps other people find the tales, and I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 